the other huge element of a business, perhaps the biggest one, is the group of people. You know, a company is just a group of people yeah. uh, working towards a, a shared goal. And I think the health of that group of people is everything. Like we really got the culture wrong at my previous startup. And it just makes everything 10 times harder. And it's very hard. Once you've lost the culture, it's... Welcome to Founder Metrics by Vested, the podcast where we dive into the world of hotshot business leaders and the metrics that drive their game-changing companies forward. I'm your host, Ifti Nasser, CEO and founder of Vested. In today's episode, we'll be diving into digital detoxing with Hector Hughes, founder of Unplugged, a UK-based travel business that's taken the startup world by storm. Unplugged was founded two years ago. After being the victim of a total work burnout, Hector fled to the Himalayas and completed a two-week digital detox. On return, along with his co-founder Ben Elliott, they created Unplugged. Unplugged's beautiful eco-cabins are all located just one to two hours from major cities. Guests are asked to lock away their digital devices and open themselves to the physical and mental benefits of a digital detox. Returning to work and home, more refreshed, productive and focused on the journey ahead. Welcome, Hector. First of all, thank you so much for, for having me. So I'm Hector, one of the co-founders of Unplugged and came to Unplugged in 2019, just off the back of three yeah. years as a an executive at a tech startup, iPad Till System, so very different, but great journey, but just managed to, you know, got a bit kind of burnt out and, and just dissatisfied with life by the end of that. So that led me to a silent retreat in the Himalayas in 2019. And then a week after that, quit my job, very cliche, and uh, ended up ended up starting Unplugged. And what Unplugged is, we provide digital detoxes at cabins an hour from City Life. So we have 20 cabins across the UK now, uh, launched about three years ago, which was uh, just after the first pandemic, yeah. which was an interesting time to launch. And yeah, going from strength to strength, feels like, as you know, these things are... Uh, uh, a journey. A journey. Yeah, yeah. But it feels like we're getting somewhere. <laughs> well, let's let's kick off at the the start of that journey. Mm. And you you've already mentioned about the the burnout. You want to give us a little bit of a a, a walk up to that burnout and just what happened? Yeah. Well, I think it, you know. I think if anything, it was a wider kind of dissatisfaction with life. So spent three years at the startup, joined as employee number two. Yeah. On the commercial side, employee number one is my now co-founder, Ben. So that's where when we met. And it was great fun. We did the whole high growth international expansions over three years. I did a whole bunch of roles. I did sales for a year, ran product for a year, ran growth for a year. Wasn't very good at any of them, uh, which was part of the reason probably for, for growing dissatisfied with it. But yeah, I think by that stage, you know, as with many of these startups, was a bit of a, a mess behind the scenes. We did a lot right, but did many, many things wrong as well. And I think I just, yeah, didn't, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was exciting me anymore. And same with life, you know, I was kind of going out a lot at that mm. time. I just felt very busy, you know, and was very aware of the time I was spending on my phone, was was flying around the world to set up these offices. Uh, and I just, I, th I just think I, I lost my joy for life, really. I just woke up one day and thought, what, what am I doing? Uh, and then a friend of mine recommended this silent retreat in the Himalayas. And I initially laughed that off. I thought, mm. you know, I can't do a silent <laughs> retreat. Like, what will the guys at work think? Uh, and then eventually I was like, no, nah, may as well give it a go. 
So we flew out there. It was this. Where was it in the Himalayas? Because it's a big place. Yeah, it's a big place. Yeah. So northern <laughs> India, uh, just outside of Dharamshala, which is oh. where the, the Dalai Lama lives. So yeah. we went down to see him one of the days, not not personally, but to one of his big events. And uh, it was this, you know, Buddhist temple on on top of a mountain. So very picturesque. Uh, but the best thing about it is when you get there, they take your phone off you, and you just spend ten days cut off from the outside world. Now, I'm not going to name drop, but I have met the Dalai oh, there Lama. It's <laughs> quite a name drop. <laughs> So it sounds really simple. Yeah, you're going to take your phone off you. You're going to do some meditation yeah. and detoxing. There must be more to it than that. Well, there's not really. So I think the the, the thing is, like, it's very so. We always say, like, why don't, why don't mm. people just go and stay in a hotel and they put their phone in the drawer? Uh, they could, but they don't. Like, that's the thing. Like, most people probably haven't spent a day in the last decade off their phones, you know? And it's only when you take the phone away mm -hmm. that you realize what we're missing. So, you know, from first thing in the morning to the last thing at night, we're constantly checking our phones. When you check your phone, it takes about 15 minutes to kind of regain composure afterwards. And for most of us, we, we never leave a 15-minute gap. So you're mm. basically spending all day in the state of distraction. You know, we, we were talking just before recording about how, as, as, as business owners, you can just spend all day switching between various messaging platforms, mm. kind of, you know, looking at what's, what's happening and what that, what happens then is you're just living in this constant state of overstimulation. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just have to turn this off. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, hopefully we'll um, yeah, be yeah. able to. No problem. No problem. But I thought it... so. So we're living in this constant state of overstimulation. Is when you get off your phone. So what happens? What what we see is for the first 24 hours after people get off their phones, which we do it for three nights. Yeah. And for the first day, you're actually a bit more anxious, you know, because you kind of feel like you've you've lost a limb, and then. You just access this this deep sense of calm that we're not used to, but that's actually how we're built to operate. You know, we're not built to operate in this constant state of overstimulation, and you know that is where so much of the stress and anxiety in society we have today comes from. So really, all we're doing is is taking that stimulation away in nature. So you've got the the, the beautiful setting. Yeah. Cabins are great because a it's everything you need. B they're they're sexy, so you know people see a beautiful cabin, they want to come and do it, and and that's important because ironically, you know our marketing is through social media. You, you, you've got oh, to kind of go to where, where people are for these things. So that that's it. And, you know, really, we are an experienced company. If anything, we're a, almost a behavioral psychology company where it's all about how can we actually get you to go and spend three nights off your phone and then... You know, well, rest. come back to the, the, the business side of it and the, the business model because it would be really interesting to hear. But that, that notion, going back to the, the piece about not when you put the, the phone down, that has become part of the communication. That's how, if there's an emergency, that's how you found out about it. If somebody needs to uh, your input on something, that's that's where you, you find out about it. So those emergencies aren't going to not happen. Those inputs are not going to not need to be done. So how do you how do you balance that in the conversation that you have with the, the folk using the Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, look, first of all, it's never as urgent as we think it is. So I think we're far too reachable today. And okay. there's just expectation that okay. you need input on everything. So the first thing I would say is uh, to you know consider just how we can not need uh, to be as reachable. It, obviously, sometimes there are emergencies that in this day and age, it's just unacceptable for us not to be contacted. We have a Nokia in the cabin so people can use it in emergencies, but also they have a number they can give out just yeah. in case. Do people even know how to use Nokia anymore? <laughs> uh, we usually people manage, but the the map is a, a bit more of a challenge for people. But um, yeah, I think I think we're we're just about 
at a stage now where people can kind of remember it from their childhood. We're starting to get a few younger guests coming through probably uh, don't have quite such an yeah. idea of, of what it is. So we might have to start putting instruction manuals in there. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think I think that's it. It's like, you know, the, the biggest one of the biggest insights we get from guests is like, after three days, you realize that the world doesn't end. When mm. you're, you're just not that important. I'm not that important. <laughs> and, and same with the people who come and stay. So let's go back to the, the beginning then. You came back from the Himalayas. You were inspired by this notion of locking your phones away. Why this business model? And I guess it was right on that cusp of, uh, actually, you started it in the pandemic, didn't you? Yes. We, we... The idea may have been fructifying for a while before that. Yeah, exactly. So we ordered our first cabin a month before the pandemic hit. So, uh, it, you know, we launched just after the first lockdown. So a few challenges with that. I think why this business model? Uh, one of the big insights, uh, I did lots of things wrong at our previous yeah. startups. I was running growth in the final year and we ended up slightly capitulating at the end of that year. So I, I clearly wasn't doing a very good job. And one of the insights, I mean, much of it was due to my incompetence, but also... <laughs> You're very humble. We, we just didn't. We just didn't. We just didn't have anything special about it. So you know, we didn't do anything that well. We were trying to feature match against competitors, and mm -hmm. you know, we really just didn't stick in our our lane. And so that made my job even harder. You know, uh, because I think products can sell themselves, and they can not sell themselves. So that was definitely that experience was uh, scarred in into my mind. And then cabins are interesting for a couple of reasons. So we'd heard about cabins thinking a lot about digital detoxing heard about cabins cabins are interesting it's a good business model mm -hmm. it's a very uh, efficient return on capital and again they also have sex appeal so kind of like tesla uh, with electric cars like if you really want to affect change you have to make it sexy in, yeah. in this day and age without question so i'd love to say i sat down with ben and we did a amazing market analysis and you know crunched the numbers and figured it out but it was actually like again it just kind of popped up and it was like what about this but three hours Googling cabins on a Friday night. And we're like, yeah, that, that'll probably work and, and quit the job on Monday. So it was, uh, we stumbled into it. Lots of things have worked out that we didn't think about. And yeah, so so over time, I think we, yeah, we got very fortunate. So ki kicking off in, in the midst of a pandemic, yeah. early doors, but um, the, the writing was on the wall yes. that travel was going to be a challenge. And yet what you'd built or what you were putting together was uh, an escape. Yes. travel business quite yeah so i think there's there's opportunities in in every obstacle and you know a few things on the surface it was bad for the business we had you know we were trying to raise a small friends and family around we had investors dropping out we had our first site dropped out where we we're going to put the cabin so there was certainly lots of change yeah but then actually when the dust settled we realized that you know this is exactly what people want to be doing because they've just spent three months locked in a flat in london and actually, you know, no one's going to be flying. Yeah. So, so the year after in 2021 was like the summer of staycations and, you know, everyone was absolutely desperate to get out into the English countryside. Yeah. And, you know, there we were yeah. sitting on a few cabins out there. So it was a real tailwind. And the other big thing was on the PR side of things. We, we tried to do a bit of PR in the early days, never got anywhere with it. But mm. the inbound PR was just unbelievable. Like we, we just got every publication, you know, all sorts of people getting in touch uh, through no genius of our own. Mm. Again, we just stumbled into the right idea at the right time. So there were lots of advantages. I think, you know, strengths and, and things can be strengths and weaknesses. So that perhaps affected us a little further down the line where we maybe didn't develop some of the marketing muscles that mm. we needed to. So a year after that was more challenging because we kind of just rode this wave. You, you saw so many businesses, yeah. so many big businesses had amazing pandemics and, and then just this huge yeah. correction. 
we had that on a, a very kind of small scale. So that year was a slog, but then we really, again, going through that hardship, you have to develop the muscles and you come out much stronger on the other side. So I think it's, uh, yeah, good fortune can be a, a blessing and a curse and tough times can, can be a blessing and a curse. So, you know, being a maths grad, <laughs> you know, when you were doing those initial numbers, <laughs> how, what were the, what was the, the metrics that you'd built the, the business around? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think and the growth rates that you were anticipating. I probably borrowed more from my previous startup experience than, than my maths grad <laughs> experience. And the big learning there is humans are terrible at forecasting. And so don't hold too much sway in the numbers. Yeah, spreadsheets are easily... Uh, Spre exactly. They can double your money overnight. Y yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, you can make a spreadsheet say anything. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. And it usually doesn't. So I think it's... And again, I got a lot of stuff wrong with the numbers in the early days of, of Unplugged. Like we, I definitely was probably a little bit too laissez-faire on the uh, cash flow management side of things, which um, made for a few slightly uncomfortable spots. Mm. So lessons learned there. But I think I'm very much an advocate of back of napkin calculations when you're dealing with businesses because there are so many uh, variables, so much unknowns, and you know we're just not good at... I think if you try and quantify the complexity, you just end up making mistakes. I think there's a, a good saying yeah. that it's better to have an approximate answer to the right question than an exact answer to the wrong question. I mean, that's that's a great bit of advice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is a brilliant piece of advice. <laughs> that that will be uh, highlighted when we, uh, when, when we put this out. And then as you move forward now, you've got a few more data points. You've got a number of assets out sure. there. How do, you, how do you gauge how the business is going at the moment? There's the North Star metric, which I'll get your answer on in a minute, but what are the other gauges? How do you assess where things are for you? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think the there's a couple of side of things. There's the the number side of things, and it's all about you know it's it's all about the numbers we know, kind of revenue, margin, all that kind of thing. So you you've got to be good on those numbers. And the other huge element of a business, perhaps the biggest one, is the group of people. You know, a company is just a group of people yeah. uh, working towards a, a shared goal. And I think the health of that group of people is everything. We really got the culture wrong at my previous startup, and it just makes everything 10 times harder. And it's very hard. Once you've lost the culture, it's, it's very so hard to get it back. So what were the two or three pieces of wisdom wrong? and culture that you brought in that, that you feel that have been right? And did you yeah. make more mistakes as well this time around? Or? Uh, we, we've done... We've, I think we've done well there. Again, it's there's different parts. So, you know, obviously we have made some mistakes, always do. I think one of the things that we've been really, really keen to do is create psychological safety. Like that that's what went wrong at the last place. Like as soon as you as soon as you people start to feel not safe and yeah. they start hiding mistakes and you know, fundamentally if something goes wrong, it's it's not about whose fault it is it. It's about like, okay, well how do we how do we solve it, you know? And it's about yeah, what's right rather than who's right. So I think that is big. So I've never blamed anyone yep. for anything that happens at the company. To it's a, a learning opportunity. Yeah, and I actually, I actually blame myself for everything. Yeah, you know, not in a self-loathing way, but just a way of like, mm, yeah, I could have given that person. What did a bit we? More what did I do that could have exactly. made it different? Yeah, because yeah. what it does, it Brilliant. takes all the stress out of the situation. Because whenever we're angry, and you know, so much of of being a founder, I think, is managing your own psychology. And when you lose your head, it's because stuff is out of your control. And like, you know, in the early days, I've definitely kind of, um, you know, as you, you get calmer over time, as you learn and, and see what's happening. And at the early days, uh, when we had our first cabin, like I remember it getting delayed by a month and that felt like really stressful. 
Uh, and in, in hindsight, no one cares. I mean, no different at all. And it was that kind of like, I was feeling frustrated with the cabin supplier that there was a delay. Yeah. But actually that frustration was nothing to do with them. It was that I still hadn't raised the money and the, the fact the cabin was going to be delayed would make that harder. And so it was like, I was failing. And, you know, so then when a mistake happens, you're more blaming it on other people. It's like, what's yes. actually happened here is I haven't done my job well enough yet. And I, I think that's at the root of all frustration, all anger, is that insecurity of like, I have not done my thing, you know? Uh, again, more more <laughs> great uh, wisdom worth uh, taking note because I think it's a very mature place to be where you recognize what could I have done differently to avoid this thing. But I, I think we we do put stresses on ourselves by creating expectations whether it's investors yeah. and how will this look with the investors or whatever but yeah, i think sometimes we need to take a little bit of reflection let's just do a bit of a mix up now though you know, detoxing and that space that we just talked about about the founder and the the role of you know what could i have done differently if you're um detoxes how, how often do you would you recommend that uh, <laughs> folk detox before we get into the founder piece of it? I would recommend a bit more than feels comfortable. So I think we all feel like we can't take time off. Just just take a little bit more time off and see what happens. I think start small again. Like some people just don't spend any time mm. offline. It might just be going for a half an hour walk and leaving your, your phone at home. But I think it, it's a really healthy thing for a founder to step away from a business for a few days for yourself and for the company. I think when the company is too dependent on you, yeah. then you know you become the bottleneck and actually end up making a lot of decisions that you're probably not the best person to make those decisions. So by extracting yourself for a few days, the, the company kind of learns to work without you. And I think what you were mm -hmm. saying before the, the call is is great where you know your role nowadays is just to support those people in in their roles. Uh, and you know they don't they don't need support all the time, right? Like nothing is ever that urgent, really. Uh, I think I'm sure some people will challenge <laughs> me on that, but um, I'm not so sure. And, and the other big one is just letting yourself recharge, right? Because it's you know it's about how you turn up. I'm I'm not a believer like our workday is now designed from an industrial age when you'd be making widgets, and mm -hmm. obviously in eight hours you can make twice as many widgets as you can make in four hours. Uh, we our kind of mental performance varies massively throughout the day. Like there's a there's a great book called When by Daniel Pink on it. And you have this kind of peak in the mm. morning, crash in the afternoon, and, and then little peak in the evening. And that differs for everyone. Some people really not morning people, etc. But it's it's I think it's about listening to that. And fundamentally, so much of your job as a founder is making decisions. I think, you know, some decisions are super important. You need to make the right decision. Some of them, you just need a decision, which again, you do need to be a little yeah. bit present. But the quality of the decisions, I think we don't optimize enough for that. And I think the other big thing is, you know, everything is not equal. So throughout your day, you might have one very important meeting with, you know, the perfect investor mm -hmm. and, and the rest of the day, you've got tedious stuff. meetings. I would just cancel all of that other stuff so you can turn up better for that, that one meeting. And maybe that's a bit too extreme, but I think it's a lot about uh, how do you turn up better for the really important things. And the other thing I think is how you turn up as a founder massively affects the team, you know? Yeah. If if you are kind of sweating, stress, anxiety, people pick up on that, it affects their jobs, uh, and then they're not doing as, as well a job. If you can come in and just be a calm, supportive presence, which again is, is looking after yourself, and again, I'm, you know, it needs to be, to, to make a startup successful, it, it needs to be the thing, and it, it's, you know, it, it's very hard, et cetera. But I just don't believe that 14, 15 hour days are healthy. And 
you know, I'm a big believer. I was, I was telling you beforehand, whenever I'm really busy and, and putting in the long yeah. shifts, I'm much less effective. And again, it comes back to a place of insecurity. It's because I know that I'm not doing a job at something. So I try and overcompensate by just being busy. But like most work we do, when I was running growth that last year, and obviously it's different being a founder, but 95% uh, of what I did was just garbage. Like you could you could have taken all of that away, and the company wouldn't have been any different. And I think even now, that, that's a, a, another insight. I guess that piece about um, how important. Maybe it's a personal thing. You just want to feel important. Hundred uh, percent. And, yeah. and um, part of the part of the detox is that detoxification of that perception. Yeah. Because it's I guess as as males that toxic masculinity piece may well come into it as well around that importance of our of ourselves. Yeah, for sure. I think one uh, uh, advantage I have is that I, I've seen myself fail and mess up so much, and I'm very aware of my infallibility. So it means I have a very easy time delegating, trusting people, and you know, not kind of uh, giving them a hard time if it's not up to a particular level. Because I'm not, I've probably done a rubbish job of that as well. And then it's like, okay, well, how can we improve this? And you know, what do we need here to to make this a success? So I think it's, yeah, I, people just have this kind of very high expectation, very high ego, as you mm. say, that then causes a lot of issues. But I think if you zoom out and if you look back at what's actually happened, like so, so much of our time is wasted, so much of it's ineffective, mm. you know, startups going completely the wrong direction for three or four years and then realize we should have been doing that other thing. You know, <laughs> if you'd gone and stayed at a cabin three years ago, you might have had that insight. Well, there, there you go. I mean, tell me more about the business model yeah. of the of the cabin, because I think what you've just said is just made me think maybe we need to do a, a bit more of this for ourselves <laughs> and for our team. But uh, so, tell tell me about the the business model for the, the cabin. Do you have loads of corporates? Is it loads yeah. of individuals? How does it work? For sure. So it's uh, it's mostly consumer. We have a few mm. corporates, which has kind of happened really nice and organically. But fundamentally, we're a consumer brand. We own and operate our own cabins, working with landowners on a revenue share. Uh, actually, over time, the way I see that going is what the big hotel chains did, because, you know, in many ways, we're a hospitality business, is they built and owned their own properties in the early days, really made sure it was you know, built a strong brand and the model. that quality. Yeah. And then over time, they moved towards more of an asset light model, where they just focus on acquisition and loyalty, and you know, I probably see us yeah. going towards that over time. Uh, so the, yeah, fundamentally, we are, all of our bookings are direct. And you know, mostly through social media, ironically, various channels yeah. like that. Influence is a great channel for us. Uh, and then we had a few businesses get in touch last year, just ask if they could offer this as an employee benefit. Um, so we've had a whole bunch of uh, different approaches with that. But some people buy each of their employees a stay a year. Some people buy great, gift cards yeah. and give them out. You know, as people hit anniversaries, yeah. something like that. So it's really nice to see that out in the world, and it feels like we're starting to become. Actually, that's a real nice idea. You might, you might yeah. even uh, there you go. try that ourselves. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think it's nice to see it's, it's kind of becoming synonymous like Uber is with taxi. And obviously, we're much, much earlier on our journey, but it's kind of coming, coming uh, synonymous with spending a few days offline in nature. It's like, oh, I'm just going to go and be unplugged this weekend. Exactly, exactly. So it feels like we are getting there in terms of building that that brand awareness, especially in London, but but also in the UK. So how, you know, going back to the brand awareness, and I guess it's brand that's the thing that survives, but how easy do you see it as for other people to emulate or copy? And is that good or bad from your perspective? Yeah, it's not a concern. I think the there's a good Paul Graham tweet, which I think every founder should read, which is 99% of startups fail, who fail, fail, for, because they failed to execute rather than competition and yet yeah. we spend so much time worrying about the the competition or, or something along those lines and i think that is it right like it's it's hard, it's a hard business to execute in many ways like there's lots of different yeah. 
areas we need to um, become experts in. And that's the thing, you know, like it's been a real slog to get here. I think we've, uh, you know, made a lot of mistakes, learned a lot, but it's, you know, it's not something that someone's going to whip up tomorrow with the same brand presence, et cetera. So for us, we're only competing with ourselves. I think you want to, I think we want to be aware of what's happening in the market. I think there'll be a bit of a roll up. So there are other cabin concepts. They've all steered away from digital detox, but uh, there are lots of other cabins out there. And I think there will be a bit of a roll up. So you know, if we can just keep running our, doing what we're doing, then there'll be big opportunities to, to go out there and actually you know, acquire other other businesses and, and build a portfolio that way. Uh, so I think it will get really interesting. Like I really enjoy, you know, in the early days, me and Ben were cleaning the cabin yeah. and that kind of stuff. And like, it's fun, but it's not the stuff that really kind of stimulates me. So as we no, start but, to get but this... at least you know what the ground level work and activity is. You it's know the business yeah. inside out. And I think the other point there is I think you have to stay paranoid and be trying to disrupt yourself, right? Yeah. So I like always have to be questioning, are we doing the right thing, right? You know, it, it's kind of a, a tricky paradox because on one hand, focus and do one thing really well. On the other hand, how do you keep evolving? How do you keep innovating? How do you keep... Yeah, you know, and just because... Uh, you don't want to be disrupted doesn't mean that somebody else isn't going to come and disrupt yeah, exactly. you if uh, you're not on top of it. Let's go back then to the the piece about your, your North Star. What is your North Star? That's a good question. I don't think we have it as figured out as, as we should. So, you know, fundamentally, we want to get people digital detoxing in nature. We want to get people offline mm-hmm. and, and into nature. As to, you know, we don't have a, hey, we need to get to, you know, 10,000 cabins in the next in the next six years. I think kind of taking it very quarter by quarter month by month it's about how do we you know, fill our cabins nice simple thing it's kind of like an airline where you get 90 percent plus uh, yeah, occupancy which is pretty yeah, damn good yeah, yeah. yeah exactly so it, it's it's pretty simple there i think i i probably subscribe a bit more to that having a really strong north star mission is super important it's something we, we need to figure out at some point but i do think there's this thing of you know focusing on systems rather than goals and just as long as we're doing the right things internally like I think we have a very strong sense of what we're doing and why. That we're trying to get people offline <laughs> into nature um, for, for them, you know, so that they can reconnect with themselves and they can turn up happier and healthier into the world. And so I think we have that's enough for where we are now, you know. Could we be doing running a tighter ship? Absolutely. And it's 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 high on the uh, agenda. But but yeah, I think what we've really focused on is is occupancy. It's nice and simple. Occupancy. So can we get people staying and can we get them having a great time? Yeah. So uh, post day surveys and like how many ten out of tens can we get? You know, like um, not so interested in the nines, but you know, yeah. let's get some ten out of tens. We don't want to talk about. But I guess the nines are learning opportunities, are they not? Big learning opportunities, exactly. But but in terms of like North Star, it's like let's yeah. let's get people staying. Let's get ten out of ten. This was life changing. So again, going back to what you were just saying there about we don't have the this notion of having sixty thousand you know cabins in yeah. year Y or X. But are you not mindful that if you don't move that forward? Yeah. Because it's a great idea, because it's got loads of uh, compelling arguments towards it. And, you know, for every cabin, there's probably a thousand uh, uh, entrepreneurs and founders out there who could benefit from them, or indeed other people, just anybody. I mean, it's not just for founders. We're just talking about founder metrics ourselves. But I think it sounds like a, a proposition that most people could benefit from. So such a good idea there will be other people with a, a pace do you have a, a concern around that just in terms of the, your own team the 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 business 
Yeah, well, I think we want to always be pushing ourselves and there is a real urgency to grow. Yeah. Uh, and the the good thing is that it's quite a nice forcing function where just ordering more cabins, you then got to fill them, you got to deploy yeah. them, etc. But what I don't want to do also talking about the, you know, talking about the kind of innovating is draw a line in the sand of, hey, in five years, we want to have 20,000 cameras because mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's the right thing to do, you know? And like, you look at Soho House, which actually I see us go more towards that kind of a, play rather rather than let's just get exactly the same cabin ever in the world like they have just it's it's developed over time you know they built a huge business but they've done it faster yes um but they've built an amazing business and a very unique business you know i think that's what we want to do here Uh, and that's one of the other reasons i'm not worried about competition like for example there are some some very big cabin companies in the space there's there's one in the the u.s over a thousand cabins um and you know they've they've got private equity backing now they've raised tens of millions and then it's just a rollout play, right? So we've got a concept, let's roll it out. It's all about, you know, the numbers, the margin, et cetera. And, you know, we need to be doing all those things like, you know, devil, devil's in the detail. Like we need to be hot on our numbers, you know, really build a, a strong business. But I also want to leave enough flexibility in the system so that we can, you know, go with the flow and, and innovate and explore yeah, these opportunities. Enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, I, want to, I think there's a real opportunity to create something really special here. And I don't want to be like, okay, well, now we've got to the point where to attract a larger audience, we need to drop the phones thing and let's just yeah. go and build a cabin business and, and then we can go into caravan parks. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's not yeah, interesting. That's not right? what you're trying to do. Exactly, exactly. So I think we need to, you need to have enough. Uh, I spoke to a very good friend of mine who's a fantastic entrepreneur and he's uh, ex-Bain. It runs a very tight ship. And he was saying to me that, you know, for all the things he does incredibly well, he sometimes finds it a bit hard to have that innovation because everything's so tight and, and so kind of mapped out. Uh, and I think there's a balance, you know, you, you need to leave that flexibility in the system. Like, yeah. So, so you can make these leaps. And so how big's the business now? Uh, so we're at 20, 20 cabins. Humans. Across the UK. Sorry. Hum- uh, staff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we have 11 people, six of those in the UK and five of those remote. So you, 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 you're a big advocate for uh, detoxing yourself. Do you have any metrics or, uh, <laughs> you know, gauge for how your, your own team are, are doing on that front and how, how are you encouraging them to, to detox? Yeah, for sure. Well, we're, we're at a size now where, uh, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're going to know you're talking to everyone face to face. So I think we, we don't have those systems in place yet. We'll need to, as we grow. Uh, so I think, you know, one of the jobs that I see myself having is just always having my finger on the pulse of how everyone else is feeling. And I think you, you know, lead by example. If you're taking time off and unplugging, et cetera, then it encourages mm. other people to do it. Some people like and it is more it? than others. Yeah, yeah. quite a lot Or of people. is it just hypothetical? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, uh, you know, people are stay in our cabins whenever they want. Like, really encourage people to take holidays. Some people take more holidays than others. My co-founder doesn't take yeah. many holidays. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll just always, you know, it's, it's in the little moments. It's, when someone's kind of hinting they might want to go on holiday do you as a leader say that's a great idea you please go and do that mm-hmm. or do they say oh yeah but there's this you know project coming up and so i think it's in those little moments like people really respond to how you react as a, a mm-hmm. leader so it's just it's just prioritizing it and you know you need to <clears throat> yeah you need to put that into to metrics and systems as, as you grow as a company but we're not quite there yet it's harder to do with the remote team i think that's something steep learning curve for me and i think something we haven't quite figured out yet which is it's very easy with the people in london very easy but it's mm. easier right you're sitting around the table with people you, you get a lot of FaceTime. it's harder with the the remote team and so i think uh learning on that and that. but you started remote because you were in yeah, the middle of uh, yeah. 
lockdown essentially and yes you you had your uh co-founder but yeah there wasn't a whole squad of folk that you'd gathered around you beforehand so effectively it was remote was it not fairly remote although we we got most of our work done we'd, we'd meet up at a, a weatherspoons when they weren't closed <laughs> once a week monday morning all these blokes in england shirts sipping pints and uh and you know and that's when we got most of the kind of thinking done and then we'd go off and we, we worked very differently which has worked really well uh so it's always been like fairly hybrid and again now we do monday friday in the office some people come right. in the other days and that's when a lot of the conversations and you know, slightly more strategic stuff happens and then people go away in the week and and do the work so i think what i find difficult about fully remote and about people in other countries is it's just much harder to build empathy or, or you know show empathy have empathy when you're talking to someone over zoom you know and just gauge how they really are you know uh and so i think that because fundamentally someone said to me the other day one of our advisors that your job as the ceo is to if you imagine the company as an organism is to always be kind of assessing mm. how healthy that organism is and anytime something's unhealthy so someone's feeling you know resentful or frustrated then you need to go in and sort yeah. that out that's harder to do with remote for sure i think part of the part of the thinking there is actually just to get more face time with those remote people as well isn't always possible yeah um, but yeah now i mean we're, we're a fully remote okay right. business we started life uh yeah, over in Moorgate, you know, we work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but literally just before COVID hit, yeah. 2018, we went to remote first, as it were, and then slowly got progressively more unhinged from the unplugged yeah, <laughs> from yeah, the yeah. from the office, uh, such that um, by end of uh, February 2020, we relinquished the uh, the office altogether, having downscaled yeah. it quite considerably. And yeah, we now. Yeah, I think that that point that you you've made a couple of points actually. Firstly, around the role of making sure you you understand how people are feeling and yeah. helping them be in the the right place. That's an important thing. We do that through surveys, but we also do um, twice a week. We have stand ups where everybody it's a you know, everybody comes to to those each week. We have retros. We have retreats twice a, a year. Where people, you know, we've got folk in India, we've got folk in Edinburgh, we've got <laughs> put people down extra. Yeah. yeah, it's a very well distributed bunch, but we make that investment yeah, yeah. of bringing people together so they actually get to meet and interact. And yes, it's not going to be quite the same as being in the same office, but on the same point, we wouldn't be able to have this, you know, cluster of talent that we have had we been just remaining in in Moorgate. Yeah, I guess yeah, so. Yeah. It's a, a balance, but it's interesting to make sure that I keep on board with that, that message of uh, making sure of the, the health, the pulse yes, of both yeah, yeah. Our, our key function. So thank you for that. So where's the future, Hector? Tell me, future? tell me what the <laughs> next uh, six to 12 months look like for you and how you'll gauge whether that's the right thing to be pursuing or you, know, you need to edit to go with the, the flow because the flow is not, not working. Yeah, for sure. I think I've changed my uh, mind on this recently. So I think a couple of things I want to prioritize now is one is just building a great company and to me that's building a great group of people you know who are excited and you know work well together and are great at what they do yeah. and i think that's how you create something really special again we still want to have that urgency to grow and you know i think we're only going to accelerate from here uh, and the other one is just to focus on myself and you know get myself in that there's a good uh, analogy of chess where up until I think sometime in the 19th century, chess was played. You'd always be trying to guess what your opponent was was going to do a few moves ahead. Mm -hmm. And then someone came along and just completely took a completely different approach. 
invented something called positional chess, which is what all the top players in the world mm. use now, which is where if you just focus on your position uh, and get it yourself in the strongest possible place, then opportunities will come up. And I think that is really where I'm increasingly looking. So I have massively up the amount of meditation I'm doing again. I was like, wow. how can you how can you take the time out, but actually turn up so much better for uh, the rest of the day, right? And so did you just tell me, like, Toffee there, but how how much meditation <laughs> is the, the right level? How, how much do you use it on a daily basis, weekly basis? Yeah, well, I think, you know, meditation, whatever you can do that's daily is 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 really important. And it's also like, it shouldn't feel like a chore. So again, the problem is someone tries it once and it is, you know, perhaps interesting they get some good effects but it feels like a chore and it quickly falls yeah. away and then they've got in their mind i can't meditate so i think it has to happen quite nice and organically so for me it, i've got quite fortunate over the last few years started with headspace was doing that 10 minutes yeah. a day um some months were good some months weren't so good and then heard about something called transcendental meditation which is 20 minutes twice a day did a tm uh, course in 2019 that really stuck so for the last few years, I've been doing that, uh, got to, always did the morning session, afternoon session, sometimes would, sometimes wouldn't. So I was probably doing about half an hour a day. And then recently started doing more kind of mindfulness meditations and focusing on the breath. Yeah. And that has just kind of grown organically. So now I'm doing uh, about an hour and a half a day, 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes in the evening. And it has made a huge difference. It's like, a, you know, it, even compared to what I was doing before, it's a, you know, it's like a completely new uh new kind of effect so that has been and i feel like maybe 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 i'm wrong but i feel like i've turned up much better as a result and, and better things are happening you know like life yeah. starts to just work towards you much more so and i look at the tougher periods and it's always these kind of things always fall away right and then uh you, you potentially aren't because we create a lot of our own problems you know like a lot of something will happen, but then it's like how you respond to that, that yeah. creates a, either a massive problem of this. And again, like how quickly did you pick up on this, that this was going to be a problem. And so, yeah, massively thinking about kind of, um, you know, just, just, just working myself so I can be there for everyone else. Right. Like I can be there for all the people in my life, whether it's at work or at home. And then last of all, I think on the business side of things, uh, the, I read a good book recently, which was the biography of Che Guevara, the, <laughs> Just a, yeah. just a fun little bit of revolution. Hence, uh, hence uh, the beard. Exactly. I'm trying to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've anything on Shay. But, uh, yeah, cautionary tale, of course. But he, he was probably the most famous revolutionary. And I think every startup, you're trying to build a revolution. So I you know, just thought it'd be interesting. And one of the phrases he um, mentions from the French Revolution is that the key to a good revolution is audacity, audacity, audacity. So I think that is where my mind is at for the the next couple of years for the business it's like i think we've built something really interesting now i think we're having a you know really positive effect on society yeah. and have built a great brand presence but you know how can we really up the game and you know, bring more audacity to what we're doing so i think that's a, a brilliant uh, <laughs> point on which to uh conclude i i'm definitely going to take away some of that uh, <laughs> audacious boldness that you've described along with the importance of um, being present for people, the different ways in which we can help ourselves to be that. There are, there are lots of different metrics that we can look at, but I think one that many founders fail to gauge too much is their own well-being. And that is a key metric that I think from this session with you, Hector, has just uh, lifted in, in importance in my own mind so thank yeah. you thank you so much and thank you for coming on the the podcast
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Founder Metrics. Remember, even the biggest of ambitions are within your reach when you leverage the right strategies and metrics. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and never miss a future episode. You can visit vested.com Founder Metrics for additional resources, articles, and exclusive content. Join our growing community of entrepreneurs and founders by following us on LinkedIn or X. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Let's continue to unlock the metrics of success, sharing, and create a brighter future.